to go into the number one person that has been my number one since 1982. I was 11 or so years old and I was at my grandmother's house and we were all watching television and all of a sudden they were skipping through the channels. Of course, someone I think was probably at the TV turning a knob. <laughs> That's how old it was. <laughs> and came across this woman that was wearing this animal print or animal skin dress. It had openings in all the right places that people would want to see them. And she was moving in a way that was animalistic. It was almost primal. It was not choreographed. It wasn't polished, but it was just raw. And it was just, I, I was speechless. And I remember my grandmother saying, she's going to fall out of that dress. Her <laughs> boobs are going to come out of this dress. And if, I don't know if just my description of her have actually, you know, told you who this is. Ultimately, the most ultimate performer, in my opinion, as far as if you want to see a live performance, and there's tons out there to watch, but the legendary queen of rock and roll, queen of karma, queen of comebacks, Miss Anime Bullock, Miss Tina Turner. I could talk for hours, and we're not, <laughs> but I could talk for hours about this woman. So you take it, because I'm going to gather my thoughts. Gather your thoughts. So for me, it's somewhat similar. Like, Tina has to see this beautiful, expressive, wonderful Black woman singing these songs of rock and roll Whereas at the time, like you saw the Aretha's, the Whitney's, the Anita's, but then you got Miss Tina over here in the mm -hmm. 80s singing Rolling Stone songs, singing right. uh, Led Zeppelin songs. You have her in very non traditional wigs, very <laughs> non traditional <laughs> wigs <laughs> between her and Whitney Houston. That's how I learned what wigs were. Because <laughs> like, uh, every time I saw either one of them, their hair was different, and my mother had to explain to me about black women's hair. So yeah. that was an introduction from for uh, to that. But for me, I love the whole spate of music that Tina has done. She's covered my favorite artist Prince a couple of times, mm -hmm. and she's done it well, which which you cannot say too often about people covering. Print songs, i.e., Latoya Jackson, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> mm -hmm. But my favorite Tina is her earlier stuff from mm -hmm. the 70s. So she did the Acid Queen album in 1975, which is my favorite. She did a lot of covers on there, like Whole Lot of Love. Mm -hmm. um, oh, she did, that's good. She did um, Acid Queen from Tommy, which is my favorite single of hers, just because. You know, in the film, she was she did play the Acid Queen. Is your and, preference? Is it the actual Acid Queen version from the album, or the or the one from the film? That the one from the album. Okay. But she she did a fantastic job in the film. She was like she was only in there for like what two or three seven minutes, I think yeah you know less than five minutes, but it was a lasting presence on the film mm -hmm. and that role. Like, there's not a lot of people that can say 
that they don't like Tina Turner. Right. And going back to what you said about um, performance wise, I don't know if you knew this. You probably did because you're like the ultimate Tina, uh, Tina fan. But in 1988, she got a Guinness World Record for the mm-hmm. largest paying audience for a solar performer when she did a performance in Rio de Janeiro. The American Stadium. There you go. Look. <laughs> Uh, over 180,000 people paid yeah. to see one person, Miss mm-hmm. Tina Turner. It wasn't mean, someone some, on the bill. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was just her. 180,000 people. And maybe her saxophone player, the one that had the bedazzled uh, jock strap. Right. But <laughs> she, held, she held that record until 1997. I didn't see who took the record over because honestly, I didn't care. But Miss Tina, for almost 10 years, held the record for largest paying audience. Can you imagine a hundred over 180,000 people in one place to see one person? Right. And she talked and she talks about that too, where she's like, at first she was like, not really at first when she was on the stage, but when she thought about and when she knew how many people were going to be there, she's like, how can you really play to that many people? Mm-hmm. And so she was like, they had to pull out all the stops. They she came in on a different type of apparatus that took her to the stage while there was like some traditional local music being played. And she said, one thing that she said that she did just to see if people were noticing her or seeing her is that she would like wave her arms. And then when she saw the entire audience wave their arms, she was like, Oh, okay. They, they see me. I'm able to play to Wow. Them. And of course they so- have screens, the big screens. But this is a little, and performances in 1988 were a little different than performances now. Like right. when you go, when you go to large, larger arena concerts now, they have what 10, 12 big screens around, so you can be right. pointing any direction and see. But the technology in 1988 wasn't as wasn't. advanced, yeah. so I think what they had like you know maybe two one jumbotrons, on each side. Right. One, exactly. Right. So you still, if you were far back, like it, listen, if you were paying customer. Uh, 180,000 and you got to the uh, arena late, right. you, you were back at the concession You were stands. the back of the back. You were, you were there for the vibe. For the feed. You were there, you were there for the, you were there for you the were vibe. There to listen, right. And that, is, and that is the point that I'm making is that even if you were in the arena and you couldn't see her, you yeah. still wanted to be there to be mm-hmm. in that vibe of Tina Turner and fellow Tina Turner fans. Right. And to speak on that, just about her live performances, I was blessed to be able to see her 10 times in my life. And each time was a different experience, but each time was the ultimate. Now, I can say, obviously, because I'm biased of being a big fan, that she's a wonderful performer. But when you think about it, she is an amazing performer. She, like To me, she's up there with the greatest performers, Michael Jackson, Oh my um, gosh, yes. Madonna, um, you know, whoever they say are great live performances, you know, Elvis, the Rolling Stones. And I'm Stone. pretty sure they took, they took, I mean, Tina taught the Rolling Stones how to dance. Right. Like, uh, Madonna definitely took parts of Tina's performances and incorporated those. Michael Jackson was, a, I'm sure, was doing the same thing. Like, these people. Yeah, he was taking, a fan of hers. He really yeah, loved her too. They were taking parts of her to make their own, to make yeah. themselves successful. 
Well, speaking of live performances and where all that came from, when we go all the way back to whenever she um, first met Ike, and I will say, just like I said with Dolly and just like I said with anyone, she, yes, she had talent. And in her high school yearbook, she has, you know, you know how you put the name and then you say what they want to be when they grow up? Mm -hmm. It says entertainer. So she wanted to entertain. At that point, she didn't really know how that was going to happen. But she got into a situation which we're not going to spend a lot of time in. And it was a bad situation. But she learned how to perform Mm -hmm. as far as as running order of songs, how to make things a production, how to, you know, how, how is this? How is this set of songs? How can we do this to where it's really going to be the ultimate performance? And she learned all that in the early days. Mm -hmm. But like I said, she went through some hard times, some bad times, you know, and then she got out of that and was able to take what she learned. And it's the same thing with with her is that people with uh, different fans that have said, oh, well, Tina would have been Tina regardless. Um, no, I but don't think that she would have. I don't think so either because imagine with that situation in the review, she was able to do things, you know, she was able to go overseas. She was able to meet the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and make friends with people like that. And those were lasting connections of people that she, that were able to, she was able to do stuff or she was able to help out in later years, things like that. Mm-hmm anything you do it's not about what you know it's about who you know and right. i think that those connections that she made when she was with the review were definitely helpful later on to her right i agree so with that. i agree too um that she you know unfortunately it was a it was a bad situation she was able to overcome that to her benefit Right. Whereas uh, some... and she was able to maintain all of that that she had learned. Yes. And she says that. And what's interesting about that is that in the documentary just called Tina that was on HBO that you can I think you can still see. Yep. Is she talks about that is that you use what you're given, you know, whatever you're given, whatever you're presented with, you need to use that to your benefit and go forward with that. And that's what she did. So I think that to ignore that part of her life which a lot of people that are huge fans do because of the ike situation doesn't really do it justice because if she has a legacy her legacy didn't start in 1976 her legacy started in 1958 correct right uh first record appearance a song called box top mm-hmm. and it was written by ike right she was one of she was uh uh a oh, part she, of their group. She was a part of the group. She was not really a headliner or even a featured yeah. singer yet. When she she was actually, uh, she was credited as Little Anne. Yes, Little yeah. Anne. Speaking of Little Anne, oh, this is yes. a little tidbit of information and little mystery. So people always say that, of course, Tina Turner's her stage name and her real name was Anna Mae Bullock. That was what they called her when she was younger, which is true. However, there's another name that she was actually born as that was put on her birth certificate. And that was Martha Nell. Now, I can't even imagine that being her name, but it is. We did get a clarification from her personal assistant, Rhonda Graham, who um, was with her, with, with, was with her in some shape or form from 1964 
till she died, which she died earlier this year. Rhonda Graham did. Rest in peace. But yes, she on her birth certificate, it's Martha Nell Bullock. And the reason why that she went by Anna Mae is that one of the parents didn't like it. Didn't like the Martha Nell, which I don't either. <laughs> but didn't like <laughs> it. And that they, they gave her a nickname, Anna Mae. So that's why she was known. That's why people called her Anna Mae or Anne when she was older. But yes, if you look, there's actually, if you do some uh, research online, you actually can find a contract, I believe in the 70s, where it says it's signed Martha Nell Bullock, or maybe, no, it says Martha Nell Turner, I think it says, yes. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, Tina Turner's real name is Martha Nell. Martha Nell Bach now. <laughs> so if you so if you ever end up on Jeopardy and that is a question, yes, you can better thank not say us. anime. But if you, you know what? Up... If they say anime, they'll probably get it right because not a lot of people know that. That's true. So beware. But if you if you say Martha Nell, you better contest it if they tell you that you're wrong. Right. <laughs> Whoever the guest host is at the time. So, you know, I was looking at my notes here and I just realized that Tina Dolly and Mary J are all members of the 100 million plus club. Oh, yeah. They have all sold over 100 million albums. That that is a that is a great feat Mm -hmm. for anybody. Right. But these ladies are amazing. Now, Tina is what is Tina's amount? Hers is what? I didn't get the exact amount. I just got where it said over 100 million sold. Like, you know, like maybe. I've like seen McDonald's. it a few times where they say it's over 200. Ooh. So even better. Even better cuz she's she's got a lot of she's got a lot of stuff going on. She her Now unfortunately Miss Tina only has one certified top 100 hit song. Number 1. The, number 1, like right. only one number 1 in the US and that was What's Love Got to Do with It. Right. Let's play but, it now. Let's go ahead and play it, because that was her... She was the oldest solo female performer at the age of 44. At that time, was it? At that Cher time. Beat that? What, what was, it was, that was it Cher? Was it Cher that beat that record? I, I don't know, because I don't think anybody knows Cher's true age. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear, let's hear what's love got to do with it. Yes, that is a classic song, which, you know, uh, when she first heard it, she didn't like it. And what's that's amazing to me, but the way she explains it is that it was so like popish and it was that, 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 you know, it was, and she was doing hot legs, honka tonk woman. And here was this little song. And then, and I just basically, you know, answered it like she did. And but, you can also find the original demo. Bucks Fizz. Yep. Bucks Fizz. And they're, <laughs> Listen, totally I listened different. to it. It is totally different. And I can understand 100% why she didn't like the song right. after hearing their version of it. But, but hey, Bucks Fizz were... Yeah. yeah, Bucks Fizz was a big deal in the UK back in the 80s. But then they came across Tina and Tina just kind of blew it out of the water. It's my song, right. My song, yes. And that led to what they call her comeback or her resurgence, mm-hmm. which was the start of 12 Grammy Awards from 25 nominations, and she's the only female to win in rock, pop, and R&B categories. Mm. Now, she, now mentioned, I don't know if you have the details, but she did have nominations with Ike, and she did win a Grammy with Ike for Proud Mary. They did win one. That was, um, 
I had it down here, but I didn't write down the year. But seventy-one. There you go. And she was along. She has she has some some of the most unique superlatives, and that just shows what a unique, great woman Tina is. She was the first female and the first African American on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Mm-hmm. She was on issue number, number two. two. Yes. So the only person that was ahead of her was John Lennon. He was on issue number one. Right. But Miss Tina, and that album cover is iconic. Like, I'm sorry, not album cover. That magazine cover is iconic. Mm-hmm. It's just her being Tina in motion. Now, was uh, was Bob Gruen this who took that picture? I think I think so. I think yeah. it was Bob Gruen. Like, if if you don't know who Bob Gruen is, you need to look up. He has photographed everybody right. from the like everybody who's everybody in the music scene forever. And he is like one of the greatest music photographers ever. I agree. Um, Miss Tina was also, she had a Kennedy Center honor in 2005, which, you know, that I have some, I have some issues with that because (laughs) as much as I like, you know, Beyonce and Beehive don't come after me, (laughs) please don't. I'm a family man who needs my livelihood. <laughs> I I think there there could have been a better choice to help celebrate Tina than Beyonce. I think it was actually pretty perfect. And the reason why I say that is because I don't know who else would have been able to do what she did as far sure. as put on the Bob, Bob Mackie dress and actually maybe her, her, her rendition wasn't Quincy's, I can't say the word, Tina, but um, I think maybe not, that's what it is. Yeah, for me. I mean, it, it is. It it was her her part, and yes. the same thing. Whenever she performed on the Grammys with her, yes, she still was doing it Beyonce esque with mm-hmm. the Tina type of vibe to it. So I appreciated it just because of how she feels about her and how much she loves her and how yeah. much she reveres her and always mentions the two Tinas in my life, my mother Tina. And of course, Tina Turner. Yes. So I can so I can feel that. So I appreciate that. I will say um, on that same Kennedy Center honors, if I recall, there was of course Al Green did Let's Stay Together. Yes. Um, Melissa Etheridge did. I forgot what she did. <laughs> That's horrible. But yeah, Mel- Melissa Etheridge I think sang a song, and then Queen Latifah did what's not got to do with it, which to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, Queen is the thing about Tina Turner is whenever, <laughs> even in tribute, whenever someone, you know, tries to, yeah, it's hard. Tina is often imitated, never duplicated, yeah, as the saying goes. Right. So, and I think we're definitely biased, but along with that, you know. Tina has her uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame from 1986. Mm-hmm. She has a, she has a, I don't know if they have stars, but she has a space on the St. Louis Walk of Fame from 1991. Mm-hmm. And uh, from my research, I found that she was the oldest cover model for any edition of Vogue. Yes. In, in 2013, she was on the cover of German Vogue at the age of 73. Won't he do it? Look at Tina. She's still. Yeah. She's and that still... was such a shocking cover, too. I mean, it was it was a beautiful cover, but it was like whenever people saw it, it was something that was just so different for her. 
And I yeah. think at that point, because she had already really kind of retired at that point, was let's I'm going to show you a different side of me, not this wild woman, mouth open, hair flying. It was very demure. It was very simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something like during that time until she retired, she was done with the Tina Turner part of her life. She was yeah. really done with that performance and so she was coming across as you know or trying to actually reinvent herself as her true martha nell or anime self i think i mean it was just really that and with with her with her projects that she has now she still she has her musical mm-hmm. which is uh starting back performances after COVID 19 and she had the documentary so tina is still doing things and she's still right. and she's up for some awards coming up She's up right. for a Tony coming up, and she's up for a couple of Emmys from the right. uh, the documentary. So right. she she might not be as active as the shares and the Barbara Streisands, mm-hmm. but she's still doing. She's still active and doing she's it her relevant. way. Yeah, she's still she's still relevant, relevant in her relevant. way. Yeah. Speaking of real quick, speaking of Grammy nominations before, <clears throat> excuse me, um, before her comeback. She was nominated for Best R&B Performance for her country album. You know, Tina Turner recorded a country album called Tina Turns the Country On. And that's the one that's not available. Correct. And they need, to, they, need to, they need to work that out because... Yeah, I was able to obtain a... Somebody actually had made a very amazing copy of the album digitally and actually made it into a CD put the cover art in it and it looks like legit mm-hmm. and sounds legit. You don't hear that hiss of the record player. I mean, I don't know how this was done, but it really, really sounds great. I have to let you listen to it. But the, um, there's another pseudo country album filled of tracks that she recorded at the same time that didn't make the album that people that you can buy anywhere. And it's one of those, um, what is it called? Whenever there's no rights, you don't have to get any rights to it. Oh, um, oh public domain? Right. It feels like it's that because there's so many different versions of that country album that's got those um, other tracks. But if you buy those albums, like, oh, I've got that country album, you don't. You don't have yeah. that country <laughs> album. Unless and that's you a, have the record, the LP. And, and that's a good point about music history, especially with African-American artists. A lot of artists, as they're, and this was before, this was before Barry Gordy did his whole Hitsville thing, and he perfected the crossover appeal of black artists. Back then, and before before Motown, a lot of black artists felt the easiest way to cross over and to get a bigger crowd was by creating country albums. Mm-hmm. Ray Charles did it, Stevie Wonder did it, Aretha <laughs> Franklin did it, and Tina did it. And I'm, and there's plenty more that did it's it. It's really good too. I mean, I don't know. Have you heard it? I've heard, I think I've heard a couple of the songs, but like you said, I don't know if that's the true album songs or if that was just right. something somebody found. Right. And it's because that's, isn't that the one where on the cover she has on like that green dress and Mm-mm. It's, nope, like a, see? it's like a cream or white color. It's actually what it is, is it looks like it's almost like a blanket that she's got draped over her. It doesn't really look like it's a dress. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure um, what she's wearing, but I will say like, as far as that album is concerned, it was not something that was really on my radar for a long time. And then whenever I did find the record and got a pretty decent copy of it, as far as quality and listened to it, 
I'm like, this is really good. I mean, it's it's kind of strange to hear Tina Turner sing country, but it did still come across. And she sings a Dolly Parton song. There'll always be music. And you have to think, too, she's uh, Tina's from Tennessee. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was they probably got they probably got more country music there than what Little Richard right. music, probably. So speaking speaking of Tennessee, I want to get in um, a few things about that she has that I'm connected to. Oh, uh, yeah. Tina Turner does have a museum. It's called, uh, obviously, Tina, the Tina Turner Museum. And it is housed in a school that she attended in grade school a few years, and which was the very first African-American school in that area that her great uncle sold land at a very, very low price and was able to fund this project or this, you know, this school to create for other African-American children in that area, which they had never had that before. So when they found out that this was the actual school that Tina Turner attended, the school had been being used as a barn for years on someone's property. So they, a woman by the name of Sonia Clark, Sonia Outlaw Clark, who I'm good friends with, she was able to locate the school, get it organized, reached out to Tina Turner's people and confirmed, hey, is this the school that you remember? Took pictures of it. They moved the school closer to I-40. It's actually in a town called Brownsville, Tennessee, which is down the road from Nutbush, Tennessee, that everybody knows. And it's right next to the what's called the Heritage Center there on I-40. And the exit is exit 56. If you're coming out of Memphis going east, then you will see um, that exit. And that's where the Tina Turner Museum is. One part of the museum is commemorating and honoring the school. And the rest of it is actually has um, Tina Turner memorabilia, pictures, records, um, clothes that she wore on stage and those, you know, that kind of thing. But I was actually a part of the group of fans that kind of helped out to get this, to get this uh, museum started. So, I've always felt very honored. My name is on a plaque. My name is um, inside the museum. And that's something that I'll always remember and feel like that I was very honored and, you know, to actually be a part of that. So that is something that if you're ever in the Memphis area, definitely take that 56 mile, you know, route east and check out the Tina Turner Museum. It's well worth it. And it's free. But the... Um, Going back to when you were talking about the musical, the musical is actually, they have um, the musical in London and New mm -hmm. York City, the Netherlands and in Germany. And they're actually going to be starting it in another country that I forget. So um, I know you personally saw the original one in London and then mm -hmm. you saw the U.S. one, right? Yes. All right. And I was there the night that Tina Turner, if you watch the documentary and you see her getting out of the car and you look in the back and there's a group of people. I'm back there and you see my hand come up <laughs> and you see it come back down because of, I, I knew what jacket I was wearing. So I was about six feet from her whenever she cut out of the car. And that was the closest I had ever been my entire time that, and I was, I couldn't speak. I was like, wow. I mean, it was so, it was, I don't, anyway, 
Um, but that was, <laughs> that was very exciting to be there and to be able to watch the, then we were able to, of course, we had a ticket to go in and watch it while she was watching it, the opening night on Broadway. Mm-hmm. That was, that was really amazing. Well, and I think 2021 has been a big year for Tina, honestly, because you have the musical, you have the documentary. You also have that she's getting inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the second time. Right, as a solo. As a solo. Very late. late. Honestly, too late. But, you know, we don't get to vote on that and uh, we don't get to suggest when people... people, Yeah, and people said for many years, oh, she's already in there, but she was in there with Ike. So she was in there as... And if for people to not know about how that works, tell them. So basically the way that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees your first eligible 25 years after the release of your first album right so not many people they didn't start publicizing that fact until like the late 90s early 2000s so before the 2000s we don't really know because they don't keep those records public like you have to actually be a member of rock and roll journalism to be able to go through the archives it's a whole process but in recent memory there's been a few people that have been able to uh, get inducted in their first year of eligibility. Like the biggest mm-hmm. one, I think, uh, was Prince. And then there was, uh, uh, what's the rap group? NWA. Mm-hmm. Like uh, people like that are being inducted in their first. But then there are other people that have been nominated multiple, multiple times. Right. And are just now, now because of, you know, calls from fans and other people in the industry are actually making it through. Right. And I've always thought that the rock and roll hall of fame, honestly should not be called that. I think it should just be called the music hall of fame or something like that. Because, Mm -hmm. because it's like Whitney Houston was nominated, was inducted. There's no rock and roll about Whitney. I love her to death, but there's no rock and roll about her. And there's been country artists that have, there's country, yeah, there's country artists and then true, honest, to goodness, rock and roll people, there are some people that still have never been inducted. Like um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been very criticized for like forgetting about like industrial rock groups and uh, prog rock and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this is about Tina. Tina's getting involved, inducted the second time this year for her solo, which technically her, this was her first, I do believe so, this is her first time being nominated as a solo artist. Right. But technically, her first solo album was released. It would have been years Tina better Turns than the Country me. On. It would have been Tina Turns the Country On. It was 1973. So 73 plus 25, 97. 98, 97, yeah. 98. So that's 20 plus years that she should have already been in there by herself. Right. But you know what? She's in there now or she's, you know, she's about to be whenever that mm-hmm. happens. So we're excited. Mm-hmm. And I she might that- actually, do you think she's going to go? No, uh-uh. okay, no, because she didn't yeah. go to. They didn't go to the. She didn't go to the 1991 either. No, because uh, the other person in the review was right. He was being held against his will for other things. Right. <laughs> and I will say she, this about. I will say this about her when it comes to receiving honors. Of course, she's honored and whatever. But if you, I don't know if you know this backstory, but for the Kennedy Center honors, whenever. If whenever those nominations come out or they say, we'd like to honor this person, mm-hmm. a lot of times those things happen at times when, oh, well, they've got stuff going on or they're being, you know, they're in the they're in the news or they're in the business. They might they might 
deserve it, but it's going to be good for this person to do this. And I think that they actually had tried to give that to her before 2005 when she got it. Mm -hmm. But she literally said, like, she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go for it. But if Oprah is a part of it, then maybe she would. And that's why we got Oprah a part of it. That's why Oprah was a part of it. And that's another subject as far as speaking about how much Oprah loves Tina Turner. Oprah says she's her biggest fan, which I don't agree with. Mm. But I think she's the biggest known fan. Right. People that know her fans. She's the biggest, you know, known fan. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was, and that was one of the reasons why that we got Tina to actually come to the United States on that year to actually accept that award because then she put out that Greatest Hits album, All mm-hmm. the Best. And that was like, I think that opened number two on the first week of its release, that Greatest Hits. So she actually, you know, then 2005, she had a little bit of resurgence with that Greatest Hits because she had already retired from, from performing. Um, at that point and then that kind of started the idea of doing the 50th anniversary tour which happened in 2008 which was her final tour at 69 years old going out there and doing things like you did at 19 years old I mean tell me who else is going to be doing that at her age at that age nobody not not many people at the level at the level level of Yes, the level of energy because right. I mean, you see every other year, uh, Cher <laughs> is doing a farewell world tour, <laughs> yeah. but her her tours are basically Cher walking on stage, walking backstage, changing her costume, and then walking coming back. back out with a different costume to perform a different number. Right. No, Miss Tina gives you she gives you entertainment from start to finish. Right, and I mean she, I mean there's like. At that, that tour was very, very hard on her. And I, you can mm-hmm. imagine it was, but it was a decision she made. I feel like that that was kind of like, let's go out here one last time, mm-hmm. make some coin, which she did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I think, in the top three tours of that year, I believe, just in yeah. terms of the, um, the gross and the amount of shows. Right. But it took a lot out of her physically, which later on um, that she mentions in a book that she released called My Love Story in 2018, that she encountered, and I'm not saying it happened because of the tour, but she is a big proponent of homeopathic medicine and homeopathic um, treatments. And she had high blood pressure for years, which I guess for when you have high blood pressure and you're not taking medicine that a doctor prescribes you, then it's going to weaken your kidneys, I believe yes. that's what the situation yeah. is. Hypertension so, that's the big that's the biggest people biggest thing that people don't realize about hypertension, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. is that it will decimate your kidneys. Yeah. Like that's the biggest uh biggest side effect is renal failure from it. And yeah, she had to get take a, your medicine, people. Yeah. Doctor had, prescribed medicine. I don't care about that homeopathic cancer. stuff. She had pancreatic cancer. Uh, this is all like in a two year period. She had a stroke and she had kidney failure. So this all happened. And what's ironic about when this happened, there was something that she um, was on where she was speaking and, or no, there was something that was reported about her being sick. And then Oprah had to come in and say, oh no, she just had the flu. She's fine. Which the fans or people that knew her well knew that it was something beyond just being sick. 
Mm-hmm. So then that's when a couple of years later, it came out that she had actually had all these health issues, but she's very private when it comes to her private life. And she didn't want to put that out. And yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big supporter of that. Like even though Me I'm too. a fan and know a lot about her, there's so many different fans that would be like, oh, what did she eat for breakfast? Or no, I don't you know, care. I don't, I don't care about any of that. I don't care anything really about her personal life when it comes to what she does on a day-to-day basis or yeah. who she knows or who's her best friend. Or, I don't care about any of that. I appreciate her music, her entertainment that she's given to me. Do I want her to be in good health? Of course. Yeah. But And, and with her, with, with Tina, because she's had such a large portion of her history that was publicized, mm-hmm. like, you know, along with I, her first autobiography, I, Tina, then you had what? What's Love Got to Do With It? The right. movie, which... I'm totally. just going to say this. Yeah. Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne were robbed of Academy Awards, but yeah. we, we'll get past that. You have so many people <laughs> thinking they know because they've seen this movie, right. which, of course, it took dramatic liberties. They think they know her, which right. is not the case. And I, I do not blame her for being a private person. No, not at all. Because but the I people mean- who aren't l- look at what happens with that. There. When you go, yeah, when you go back and you watch the documentary, the recent one on HBO, is that really touches on that and how she exposed the story from when she was with Ike and how she didn't want to do that. She wanted mm-hmm. to kind of keep it because it was such an ugly story. But at the same time, once she did that, that changed her, the rest of her life. That changed everything mm-hmm. because people, what she says is people like garbage. You know, that's why the National Enquirer sells. That's why mm-hmm. gossip things sell because people love that. And I think that you put that on top of somebody that's already talented, somebody that's already amazing performer who you will always remember and is very memorable. That adds a different layer of a notoriety, you know, a notoriety that it's almost like it's the, what she says when she was on stage at the musical that what she feels like about the musical and how her life is, it was poison that turned to medicine. And that really is how that, you know, came across. And that's how, you know, what she was exposed to and what, you know, what her life ended up being. Something she couldn't get away from. Yeah. You know, when you watch that, you really see all the things that she went through. And unfortunately, it re-traumatizes people to have to continually talk about that, continue um, experiencing that. And... You know, it's it shows the reality of stars that we think we know, like they're just regular people that that just happen to have this extraordinary job and this um, thing that they do for our benefit. Right. Um, And And that's I think more people should take that into account. Yes, they don't. You know, Tina doesn't owe me anything like none of these none of these ladies like Tina and if you think Dolly, Jennifer. Right. Uh, Mary, they don't owe me anything. They have lived their life the way they wanted to. They have made some great, fantastic mm-hmm. movies and music, which we all appreciate. And we all, that leaves something of their legacy that we can have a part of. Like, you can own a Dolly CD. You can own uh, a Mary movie. It's, that's part of what yeah. they leave us. So they don't owe us anything outside yeah. of that. And I, I, unfortunately, a lot of, quote unquote super fans don't realize that or just the basic public right or the basic public but you are the type of fan of all of these ladies 
like we said at the very beginning, they're all do their reverence mm -hmm. and you respectfully revere them. Yes, definitely. And a little personal story about that particular song. So um, there's this television show that's finished now. It's called Shit's Creek. Mm -hmm. And on the show, there was uh, the son's character. He had uh, his boyfriend at the time wanted to perform for him. Mm -hmm. So he chose a stripped down uh, acoustic version of the best. Well, when me and my now current husband were dating, that episode came on and I was just like, this performance, <laughs> this song perfectly sums up everything that I feel. Mm. Oh, him. wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he is the best because he, he puts up with me. Yes. You're the he best does. because you, these ladies, you love these ladies. And this top four could not ask for a better group. I think, I think you're right. And I will agree with that. I want to end this portion and the end of our podcast with kind of factoring in our the last podcast and kind of including a little bit about the last one, which kind mm -hmm. of relates to Tina, is the first podcast that I did was about abandonment. And for people that don't know, Tina was basically abandoned by both of her parents at different times. And when you think about that, and she also says that she didn't feel and she never felt a genuine love from either one of her parents, but her sister genuinely loved her. And then she had a grandmother that she really felt loved. So when you think about your entire life, only feeling love from a couple of people, and then those parents that is supposed to love you leave, that created a huge, you know, scar and huge space for her that actually, you know, if you think about another a way that people deal with that and they actually proceed with that is they strive to be the best. They strive to be, as the song says, simply the best. And that's what she did. Now, did she take care of all that things? Did she get them healed? Who knows? That's gonna that's up to her. <laughs> that I mean, that's only she knows if she feels healed from that. But I will say that when you culminate all of those things that happened to her and then you just move forward is what she always says. Just move forward. Just keep moving. That is how she got through all of those, the, those situations. So I feel like that with that being said, it's, it's just a wonderful way to, to end the podcast is to kind of rope them together and to see that, yes, you too can overcome anything that comes your way because look at everything that happened to all of these people yes. and they were able to move forward and, be successful at whatever they at whatever they did yes that is I, I agree they all were able to overcome some sort of adversity and they were able to use it and grow from it which everybody should be able to do yeah well anthony i really really am so appreciative that you took the time out today on this wonderful sunday morning to talk to me i feel like that we could probably talk for a couple more hours, but I, I think I, I agree. Start. That's now, a good start. Want, yeah, what I want to tell our listeners is that each of these women in the future will get a part two, their own individual podcast. And where what I'll do is I'll go. We'll go in a little bit deeper about certain albums, maybe movies, maybe songs 
where these people have actually, you know, touched me in more particular and exclusive ways when it comes to their art. I definitely have a lot more to say about Miss Dolly Parton's Rainbow album. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that is actually one that I don't think I can listen to the whole album. She and that that album cover where she looks like a a failed dominatrix. Yeah. So we'll definitely keep that on the back burner for uh, Dolly Part 2. Yes. I can't wait to talk to you all again. And thank you, Anthony. And I hope to have you on as a guest in the future. Thank you for inviting me. I had such a great time today. Wonderful. Do you want to plug anything? Is there anything that you're about to do or or be a part of that you want us all to know about? Other than... Um... The Metro Ball coming up, featuring Miss Jennifer Holiday. Remember, What's two the L's. The dates are somewhere not in front of me, um, <laughs> but we can post it in it's, the information for right. the podcast. I think it's June of 2022, right? It is June. T- it's the first Friday in June. Okay. I'll, that's, yeah, I'll that's, that's the way to remember it. Um, and so I'm excited about that because... I've been trying to get Jennifer Holiday and uh, to perform for Metro Ball since I've been involved. My mm-hmm. other person was Martha Wash, but that, like I said, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but I hope to see you guys there. We're raising uh, money for a great cause. It's yeah. going to be a fun night. Um, once again, thank you to Steven for inviting me. This has been great fun. And... I can't wait for part two on all four of these ladies. Yes. Believe and you me, both of us have a lot more to say about so every single that. one of them. And I feel like that people were slighted. Things were, things were not said. But you know what? That's why we have voices. We can, we can do it another time. But everybody, true. make sure and check me out on, on um, I can't speak, on Instagram, Suddenly Steven, on Facebook, Suddenly Steven. And my Twitter is a little different, but you'll still find if you put suddenly and then S-T-E-P-H-E. It didn't allow me to put Steven. Someone already had it. But yes, if you look on all those social plat- social media platforms, you'll find me. Um, if you, There's going to be the ability to leave a voicemail on this podcast if you want to leave a comment, give ideas of things that to do. And make sure on the podcast format that you are listening to, whatever service it is, subscribe, share me, Make it known to where people can come back and listen to this wonderful podcast that we, you just heard. So thank you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, Anthony. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Hey, Suddenly Stephen listeners. I hope you enjoyed part four of my top four faves. Wasn't it a great fourth episode of my top four faves? I mean, you saved the best for last, right? Well, anyway, I just wanted to break in and let you know that I will be taking a short little break of maybe two to three weeks, but when I come back, I'll be better than ever, I promise you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you for listening so far. It's been amazing.